Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Brian Kilmeade Show. General H.R. McMaster joining us at the bottom of the hour. You know, retired U.S. Army Lieutenant General, best-selling author, uh, former security advisor to President Trump. And then I'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. We know it's been an extremely hectic week, and the President of the United States had a press conference yesterday, which gets us to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Rich or poor, it doesn't matter to Lori Lightfoot. To Lori Lightfoot, all that matters is the fact they're white because all white people are the same. They are entirely defined by the color of their skin. You can see how this makes life a little easier for Lori Lightfoot. She knows who to hate just by looking at them. Racism is pointed out everywhere except what is happening in plain sight. We'll discuss the 1619 Project in schools, the pushback, the payouts, and one big city who pledges only to talk to black reporters. Number two. What is this, the honor system? The honor system as to whether somebody's been vaccinated? Do you want them breathing in your face on the strength of their honor? The House of the Representatives chamber is not a Petri dish. She doesn't know what she's talking about, and the venom she spews is disgusting. Mask mayhem. Speaker Pelosi caught maskless while fining Republicans for refusing to abide by her mask policy. Attention. Follow the science crowd. If you are vaccinated, it does not matter who is not vaccinated. This is a pure power hate trip by the soon-to-be former speaker, I hope. Number one. Over the last 11 days, I spoke with the prime minister six times. I've also spoken with President Abbas of the Palestinian Authority. And I want to also thank everyone on our team for their incredible efforts to bring this about, this outcome that we're about to see. Race, uh, oh, excuse me, uh, ceasefire between Hamas and Israel. My sense is it's more of a pause. Amazingly, despite the complete absence of fact, President Biden takes credit. What really happened and why so many Democrats become have become anti-Israel, it is so disturbing. Why don't senior members who know better, like Senator Schumer, stand up and say, stand back? And I'm talking about Rashida Tlaib, and she's a Palestinian. She's one of 14. Imagine that. One of 14 family members. I think she's one of the few not in the Gaza Strip or West Bank. And she's bending everybody's ear. Just if she really wanted to help, Rashida Tlaib should be out there talking to the Palestinian Authority, Hamas, and talking about how they're letting her family and all the other Palestinians' family down. You don't throw 4,000 rockets at one country who is more powerful than you and then cry, how dare you hit me back? That's not the way it works. And I got to give President Biden credit initially because he wasn't coming out doing what Barack Obama did, condemning Israel and trying to find venom, uh, trying to find a vindictiveness uh, in his statements and actions. Never like Benjamin Netanyahu, he didn't. He actually uh, manipulated the campaign so he would lose, but Netanyahu ended up winning and outlasting President Obama. Here's Joe Biden yesterday, cut one. Over the last 11 days, I spoke with the prime minister six times. 
I've also spoken with President Abbas of the Palestinian Authority more than once and part of our intense diplomatic engagement. And I want to also thank the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, our national security advisor, and everyone on our team for their incredible efforts to bring this about, this outcome that we're about to see. Nice try. But you didn't do anything. And you know what? You can't. Because there's nobody to broker with on the other side. There was Yasser Arafat with all those visits to Bill Clinton. Well, he was dead by the time George Bush was there uh, after a few years. Uh, I think he just died. Meanwhile, the Palestinian Authority take, uh, take over by a guy with two names. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas has been useless. He won't have an election because he'll lose even more power. You got the, the Palestinian Authority, no authority in the Gaza Strip where the problem is. And they are in the West Bank where, the Gaza, where Hamas is looking to gain more power. And when you hear Hamas, you should hear Iran. Why doesn't the president come out and condemn Iran for supplying the money and uh, the missiles to create this conflict to begin with? Here's Benjamin Netanyahu, cut five. While we were engaged in these hostilities a few days ago, Iran sent an armed drone uh, to Israel from Iraq or from Syria. Iranian forces launched a drone, armed drone, which our forces intercepted uh, on the border between Israel and Jordan. Uh, and that, I think, tells, says everything on uh, the true patron of terror in the Middle East and uh, in the world, Iran. So where's the condemnation from Democrats? I think over 50 percent of Democrats now take the Palestinian side. I mean, how is that OK? What, what is twisted? Is there anything about this country these Democrats like? They don't like our economic system. They don't like our past. They don't like our history. They don't like our foreign policy because it's not pro-Palestinian. I, you know, the Palestinian people might be fine, but they have the worst leaders possible. They're being totally abused. They could have the world at their fingers. The money would pour in, but it never gets to them because of their horrific leadership. And now you see an anti-Semitic behavior in New York last night on Times Square, right in Diamond District, around the block for where this studio is. And then you see roughly Times Square, a little bit uh, further up than that. And then you see in Los Angeles, you see uh, a group of pro-Palestinian uh, I imagine American citizens start showing up with bats saying, we're the Jews. Really? In America, they're saying that? And when they find four uh, men, they start beating on them. And one guy in particular stood up and everybody else locked themselves in at a restaurant at a diner in Los Angeles. Are you kidding? Another guy standing at a corner was chased down by a bunch of guys who were riding in a pickup truck with a Palestinian flag. So what's going on in this country? There's right and wrong. There isn't both sides to this. Trey Gowdy, cut 10. Certainly a repudiation of that wing of the party. There, there's a, you know, Bernie Sanders, AOC, uh, and others um, are having a really difficult time telling the uh, terrorists from our allies. This is a repudiation of that wing of the party. I'm glad he talked to Netanyahu. I hope he's also going to send a message to Hamas uh, and to Iran. What's even better than a ceasefire, Shannon, uh, is not to need a ceasefire. So uh, tell them to stop firing rockets into Israel, and then we won't need the ceasefire. Right. It wouldn't start to begin with. And instead, if you want to negotiate life better in Gaza, man, money would pour in. President Biden restored the money right away. Dumb. Without any strings attached. Stupid. Now he pledges to rebuild Gaza, with, uh, rebuild Gaza by giving money to the Palestinian Authority. They're not even there. 
If you give it to them, it's given to Hamas. And what they do with it, they pocket most of it. The people never see it. If Hamas is your leadership, they have failed you miserably. Look at what they've left. Your life in ruins. Kids have died. Innocent people have lost their lives because Hamas decides to put their apparatus and their military hardware in the middle of neighborhoods, in buildings, residential buildings. And you expect Israel just to take 4,000 rockets and do nothing? Not a chance. Uh, there's too much on the line for them. Meanwhile, roughly 48% of Americans of all ages have received at least one dose of the vaccine. 38% are fully vaccinated. Now you have 12 to 17-year-olds are going to be able to do it. So they say overall, uh, the country is closing in on half those 18 and up uh, vaccinated, which is which is good. What they're finding is this lottery thing where you have a chance to win a million dollars if you go get a vaccine is working. So we're doing it here in New York. So for those people on the fence, why do I bother? Maybe it's probably worth the risk. Meanwhile, let's fast forward and talk more about how the pandemic's affecting us. If you're vaccinated, don't have a mask. If you do have a ma- if you do if not vaccinated, if you not vaccinated, wear a mask. And because it's the honor system, Nancy Pelosi says everybody wears masks on the floor, on the House floor, not in the Senate, but on the House floor. Cut eleven. What is this? The honor system. The honor system as to whether somebody's been vaccinated? Do you want them breathing in your face on the strength of their honor? So let's just see. Um, Let's just see. And again, we have, this is about science and governance. And science and governance. We have a responsibility to make sure that the House of the Representatives chamber is not a Petri dish uh, because of the selfishness of some not to be vaccinated. Or to insist, or to wear a mask, because it requires us to wear a mask. What is what is wrong with her? Then she shows up at the White House without a mask because uh, she hates Republicans that much. She says they won't tell me if they're vaccinated or not, so I'm going to make everyone wear a mask. Do you understand the science that if you're vaccinated, you're not going to get it, and you're not going to give it? And if someone wants to go about life because they had the virus already and don't want the vaccine on top of antibodies or they just don't want a vaccine for religious or personal reasons, it's on them, not you, including their staffs. Ronnie Jackson, who happens to be a doctor, moonlighting as a congressman, talks about the folly of Pelosi's policy. Cut 14. This vaccine has an efficacy of 95 to 99 percent. That means that if she's vaccinated, she does not need to be worried about who else is vaccinated for the most part, right? And we have 75 percent or more of the members of Congress that have been vaccinated. A lot of the other ones have had it. So we've got herd immunity there anyway. So there is absolutely positively no scientific reason why this is happening. And we just put a, a, a Kevin McCarthy just brought a resolution to the floor that was sponsored by the Doctors Caucus. And we're demanding that the physician to Congress explain to us why he is not following the guidance of the CDC. And the reason is, is he's being controlled just like everyone on the left by Pelosi. She is on a power trip that I've never seen before. Well, she says she's leaving after this term. Uh, you got to force her to leave, and you got to do that by putting in the minority. She will not stick around. Among the House members paying $500 in fines, Brian Mast, Beth Van Doon, Mariette Miller-Meeks, Ralph Norman, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Tom Massey. Now those who have got a warning, Chip Roy, Mary Miller, Bob Good, Lauren Boebert, Nancy Cupter, and, as I mentioned, Louis Gohmert before. So those are the ones about to get fined. They don't make a ton of money at the House. You know, you don't make a ton of money uh, going back and forth. Your family's usually only in one city. So they'll take it right out of your paycheck. So it will matter. It will matter. 
1-866-408-7669. I want to come back and take your calls. And when we come back, I will talk about the, the third ridiculous thing that's happening in this country. And that is the flat-out racist. Racism against white people. Yes, those horrible white people. 1619 Project. The speaking fees for Black Lives Matter founder. And so much more. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The City Hall Press Corps needs to reflect the diversity of our city. It's way past time for the City Hall Press Corps and the people that do the hiring and make the decisions to get the memo. We are in a time where we're having a powerful and important conversation around systemic racism in every institution. And the press and the media can't be exempt from that conversation. What a clown. This Mayor Lightfoot has black-on-black crime, people being murdered every single day. Weekends are about 50, 50 shootings a weekend, and she's focusing on what the color of skin of uh, my interviewee is. Black or brown is it for her. Have you ever seen somebody like this and kept their job? That's exactly what's happening. I mean, what are we, in 1860? It's okay to treat people unequally and is accepted if they are the right color? One wasn't accepted then, now it's accepted? Are you kidding? Evidently, I don't know much about her, but she's in a same-sex relationship, which is uh, fine, as, and her partner is white. So is she allowed to ask any questions? Does she have to write them down? Does she have to get maybe uh, a, some a member of the black community to ask the questions to, uh, to her wife? I guess. So is it up to the newsrooms to be more diverse in their hiring? Many of these newsrooms are very liberal bastions of, of liberal thought. I really don't know if there's a liberal magazine or newspaper even in Illinois, let alone Chicago. So go ahead. If you want to call up the CEOs and say, I'm concerned about the diversity of your reporters, go ahead. You know, please tell me the minorities that have been turned down for jobs that makes the mayor refuse to interview, be interviewed by white people. And the mayor, Bowser, who wants to be Governor Bowser in the new state of Washington, D.C., 
Muriel Bowser, is supportive. I support her, she says. I support working with everybody that's covering City Hall in Washington, D.C., but I do think it's a fair point because I don't think many people think about it that all of our news outlets concentrate on diversity. Yeah. Let's focus on the news ads. When you start handling crime, then you can work around the edges of the diversity in your news crew. I mean, I could see if you're doing a long feature and say, in retrospect, when you look out at the news media, the thing that strikes me is that they seem to be white. Okay. But to make a, as if this is a priority, you should be eliminated as a person, let alone a public official. Meanwhile, this huge pushback as we're seeing more and more on this critical race theory in, in schools. In Ohio, they're part of a 20-state group opposing taxpayer funding for critical race theory. I'm really heartened by this. It's happening all over Texas. It's a big pushback in Florida. Can we go back to teaching American history, which includes the ugly part of Jim Crow as well as slavery, but you don't work your way backwards and say we're America's bad and we really start and we're all about fighting wars for slavery? The 1619 Project is pretty amazing. They're making a part of curriculum in many states. In fact, the Biden administration is providing cash incentives for states and counties that put this in their curriculum. Then they can get grants. If not, they don't get them. The Oregon Department of Education has confirmed to Fox on Tuesday that it's paid money to Hannah Jones Speaking Agency. Who is that? Hannah Jones is the one who marshaled the whole 1619 Project for the New York Times, which is suddenly curriculum-worthy. Uh, Lavin attending the 1619 project as part of a mission to center black student experiences um, goes on to say this. The, the sum included 25,000 each for two speaking engagements, one of which was broken into two separate events on the same day. In hosting the event, uh, ODE partnered with the Oregon Alliance of Black Educators. So that's where the money's going. I wonder if she's giving it to the Black Lives Matter. Now, she's also got a prestigious job, Nicole Hannah-Jones, at an Ivy League education. She's now a college professor without a Ph.D., which is, I understand, kind of unique, a prestigious position like that, which she did come back and say this. When I was with uh, – what I said is uh, – about criticism of 1619 Project. What I said was well, what it meant to think about America as 1619 as our origins, not 1776 – she goes, how about thinking about our origins as being slavery and not freedom fundamentally shift the way that we understand our country? That's, the very, that's very powerful, but that's also frightening to people who need to believe in this idea of exceptionalism. History is, and I mean history, not only history this happened on this date, but by this person, but history in our understanding of what happened in the past is really about power. It's all about power, and folks have not, been had, to, not have had to share that power in this way. And when you look at all the opposition to this project, it's not about the facts of history. It's about who always had the power to shape the narrative and not wanting to give up that power. So she's saying white people. No. America is an exceptional nation. If you feel that way or found one better, you opened, you go, welcome to leave. But the exceptionalism has been an emblematic. How many? Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. People look at the Russian system and said, I want to copy that. No, a brutal ruler shows up and becomes a dictator. The people don't want that. How many people look at the Chinese rule of government and say, I want that? 
But when you look at Western Europe, you look when the fight for freedom in Eastern Europe, who was the symbol for that freedom it was America. Why does she have a hard time with that? It doesn't mean there wasn't slavery in 1619 or in 1860. But look at the improvements made and look at the, uh, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and it was up to us to live up to it, and we finally are, but they want to go back. For some reason, people feel a fear of strong America. I'm used to that on the outside. I'm just not used to it on the inside. I guess I should. Uh, when we come back, General H.R. McMaster is going to join us. In case you do not know, there's been a ceasefire between Israel and the Hamas. We don't even say Palestinians, Hamas. They are celebrating victory as if they won something. What they want is the right to shoot off 4,000 missiles that were given to them by Iran. Now they have to rebuild their lives and buildings, all because of a real estate issue. They started a war. They couldn't possibly win, and they want to blame the Israelis for pounding them. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Frankly, I don't think a ceasefire is the answer because it will just mean that we'll have another round in a year, in two years, or in three years. Many people around the world don't really realize what we're fighting and who we're fighting. They think we're fighting Gaza or we're fighting the Palestinian people. We are not. We're fighting a monster. We are fighting Hamas. For us, every dead Palestinian child is a horrible tragedy. For them, every dead Israeli child is a cause for celebration. It's true. Uh, I wish they were exaggerating. Dan Gillerman is uh, speaking as the former Israeli ambassador to the United Nations and speaking on our channel yesterday. Joining us now, uh, we're privileged to have back with us General H.R. McMaster, retired U.S. Army Lieutenant General, former National Security Advisor to President Trump and best-selling author of the book Battlegrounds, The Fight to Defend the Free World. Um, are we to believe this ceasefire? General, thanks so much for joining us. Are we to believe this ceasefire? Hey, Brian, it's great to be with you. You know, it's, it's just a pause between the next, the, yeah. the next round of the long war with, with Hamas, you know. And, and, and the, the sad story is, you know, the people in Gaza, nearly 2 million re- residents, they live in a man-made hell. But that, that hell is made by Hamas, you know. And so, you know, the people who are really deeply concerned about the play of the Palestinian people should be angry with Hamas and their sponsors, the Iranians. You know, Brian— where did the rockets come from? <laughs> they came from Iran. And the, and the problem is with the regenerative capacity of Hamas's military capability, right? So this, this operation, I think, was successful in, in denying Hamas you know, military capabilities and getting them to expend you know, nearly 4,000 of their rockets. But the shipments of rockets will, will be smuggled in, uh, and, and the Iranians are, are largely behind you know, this latest you know, horrible, you know, uh, round of, of, uh, of violence. Here's the prime minister of, Jeru- uh, of uh, Israel from Jerusalem yesterday, cut six. The true backer of uh, much of this aggression is Iran. Iran not only supports completely the uh, Islamic Jihad in Gaza and gives them all the financing, they also give weapons to uh, Hamas as well as to Hezbollah, and they, they provide the scaffolding on which these organizations uh, really work. But not, a, uh, not, but not a word about Iran in yesterday's press conference. 
from the president it, of the United right, States. It's, it's back, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's back to 2013, 14, when the Obama administration took this extreme conciliation approach uh, toward the Iranians. And you know what? We know how that worked out. What we did is we, you know, we, we gave concession after concession for the horrible nuclear deal. We, we backed off on any efforts to, to interdict Iranian illicit financing uh, of these terrorist organizations. And, and, and what did we get in return? A horrible nuclear deal, but also a huge payout to the Iranians. And we know, we know what they did with that money. As soon as they got the big payout from the Obama administration, they sent $100 million uh, to Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad and $700 million to Hezbollah. So you know, it's, it's astounding to me that knowing you know, how, what a failure that approach to Iran was, uh, that this administration is doubling down on that same policy. General, here's the thing. Being with your experience, you've been in uniform and you've been effective and you also work for the country in a, in a suit as the president's national security advisor. So you understand politics as well as the military and you wrote about it. So when I hear these Democrats come out of pro-Palestinians saying that Israel, Israel is the problem. Bernie Sanders wants to cut off funding in the, in the Senate and not approve the $720 billion, it was a million dollars that we have going there. And that was put forward by the squad in the House. And you have people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer who, who don't feel that way. In fact, in, they feel inversely. They keep quiet. This must frustrate you beyond belief. Well, it, it is a huge frustration. And what it is, I think it's kind of an extension of a form of self-loathing, Brian. I mean, these are people who tend to blame us for everything. They don't acknowledge, you know, the agency, you know, the, 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 of, of others, including uh, these terrorists and, and, and other enemies. And, uh, and I think they extend that uh, to Israel as well. You know, it's also some kind of a weird form of Stockholm syndrome, right, where, you know, we're victims you know, kind of, you know, kind of identify with their abusers, but you know, it's 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 uh it's irresponsible, you know, and and this is what we see playing out, I think, in, in Afghanistan as well. You know, when we had you know first the Trump administration, but now the, the Biden administration doubling down on this approach of kind of throwing the Afghans under the bus on our way out of Afghanistan. Oh, I want to talk about that in a second uh, because it it just absolutely it's agonizing to think everything you guys sacrificed to give them two decades of a sense of freedom and women, a sense of an education and rights all about to be destroyed. But one, one more thing. I want you to hear Joe Biden yesterday and tell me where you see the problem in this statement. Cut four. The United States fully supports Israel's right to defend itself against indiscriminate rocket attacks from Hamas and other Gaza-based terrorist groups that have taken the lives of innocent civilians in Israel. Prime Minister also shared with me his appreciation for the Iron Dome system, which our nations developed together and which has saved lives of countless Israeli citizens, both Arab and Jew. I assured him of my full support to replenish Israel's Iron Dome system to ensure its defenses and security in the future. One thing that you didn't hear in that is that he's going to provide money to rebuild Gaza to the Palestinian Authority. The Palestinian has no authority in Gaza, and the Palestinian Authority says corrupt organization losing more credibility by the day. Hamas, sadly, is the rising power there. You cannot stop American dollars from getting into Hamas's hands. That has to be addressed. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And, and I think the key, the key thing is to isolate now 
Hamas from external sources of support. And so what we don't want to do is to provide support to the Palestinian Authority without guarantees, you know, that it's not going to go to Hamas. What's disturbing about this as well is we're providing them, you know, we don't want to provide them financial support, but, you know, we're providing them with ideological support as well and psychological support because we engage in this kind of moral equivalency. Hey, you know, when, when Hamas fires nearly 4,000 rockets on Israel, what do you expect Israel to do? And I'll tell you, I, I think we all ought to be just heartbroken about civilian casualties in Israel and in Gaza, but who is to blame for that? You know, Gaza is 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 a is a, uh, a densely you know, packed urban area with one of the highest population densities of anywhere uh, in the world. Hamas fires these rockets from in and among residential areas, and so I think you have to trace responsibility back to Hamas and Hamas's sponsors. Absolutely, and uh, we'll see what happens. Those rockets are getting better, and you know, the one thing I was just talking to General Keane on television. And he says the ultimate goal is pretty clear. Hit uh, Israel from Syria, hit him from uh, Lebanon with Hezbollah, hit him from Gaza with, uh, with uh, Hamas. That will be the ultimate destruction. That's the goal of Syria and mainly Iran in that region. And if you are the prime minister, General, why don't you get up every day fearing that moment? It becomes closer by the day. Yeah, and you know what else it's tied to, Brian, is it's tied to Iran's you know, pursuit of nuclear weapons, right? I mean, Iran is is also you know breaking you know the so-called you know the, the limits of the so-called uh, Iran nuclear deal that that weak deal, and and, uh, and 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 why it's tied to that is that these rockets, you know, these thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of, of rockets that are that are in in southern Lebanon and in Gaza are meant to threaten Israel also, uh, so so that Israel doesn't conduct a strike against Iran's nuclear program also as well. So, you know, this is all connected. And, and I think it's, it's really, really important uh, to, to try to convince you know, the Biden administration to abandon this conciliatory approach to Iran, because we know from, from history, right? We right. know that all that does is embolden uh, the theocratic dictators in Iran. Iran's going to have an election next month. It's going to be a more and more hardline government. These elections are a farce, right? I mean, if you, if you don't support uh, the, the, the supreme leader. You don't get on the ballot. Support this rule of the Jordan. You don't even get on the ballot, right? So, so we know what's going to happen there, uh, in terms of the outcome of the, the election. And we have to get rid of this delusion, right? That well, if we're nice to the Iranians, you know, the reformers will get stronger. Hey, the revolutionaries in Iran won. They have consolidated power. We hope. We hope that the the, the Iranian people at some point force that government to change and stop its permanent hostility to the great Satan, you know, us, the little Satan, Israel, and their Arab neighbors. But I, I think the best way to do that is to force that Iranian government to make a choice, right? Either you get the benefits of being integrated uh, into the, into the, to the world economy, or, you know, or you continue to act like a terrorist state, but you can't have it both ways. The Obama administration allowed them to have it both ways. And, and you know, sadly, we're on the same path, Brian. Two other quick items. Number one, I just think you guys were doing such great work in the Middle East. You tried to get something going when there was nothing going. You cut off the funding to the Palestinians, and you dealt with their neighbors. And they were coming aboard because they were just as frustrated with the Abraham Accords. who were able to be pulled off. And if you guys, if uh, Trump had gotten four more years, no question he would have got Saudi Arabia. Uh, it seems, uh, to also agree to recognize Israel and install trade relations between them. And that would have further isolated Iran. But that's not the world we live in right now. Uh, unfortunately, it's a much more complex world. 
couple of things real quick. The Nordstrom pipeline, Nordstrom 2 pipeline, as soon as I got educated on it and I realized it's coming from Russia to set up an addiction from uh, in the West of their oil and gas, Germany leads the way. And it's about to be finished when the Trump team put a stop to it and offered objections to it. And essentially Donald Trump says, wait, we're paying millions of dollars to protect you against Russia and you're cutting an energy deal that will make you dependent on Russia. How do you feel about the Biden administration looking the other way right now? Yeah, that's that's a terrible, terrible decision. So what you hear all, all the time these days is, hey, we need a better relationship with our European allies. And, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm all for that, Brian. But the better relationship is for a purpose. And in this case, one of those purposes ought to be to impose costs on Vladimir Putin beyond the costs he factors in when he, when, when he yeah. acts uh, against us, when he takes aggression against us. Now what they're doing is they're just giving – they're just giving Russia coercive power over not only Ger- Germany's economy, but this is going to bypass uh, pipelines that go through Ukraine. So it's going to also weaken Ukraine by denying them those transit fees. And so it's, it's, a, it's a terrible mistake. And, you know, you know <laughs> dip- diplomacy is more than you know, a better atmosphere at cocktail parties, right? Diplomacy should be for a purpose. I would think so. Uh, lastly, uh, the one thing I never agree with the, pres- uh, the former president on uh, or uh, Joe Biden now is the rapid pull out of Afghanistan. And there's a sense out there for people on the outside that all those military men and women, they just want war. They want fighting. They want, they want this endless war to continue. I always contend that you're the last one that wants war because you see the price it pays and you see how hard it is. Now, through all this, uh, the stops and starts in Afghanistan, the surges, the holding its line, the focus on Iraq— Regardless, about 5,000 troops were allowing the, the Kabul government to exist. Now they're begging for some type of delay because they know the Taliban's knocking on the door. What's your greatest fear, General McMaster? Hey, Brian, you know, we know what's going to happen, right? And it's already happening, is that there's going to be a return of, of large-scale violence across the country. That violence will look a lot like the civil war in Afghanistan from 92 to 96. That's going to generate a humanitarian catastrophe. It already is in areas where the Taliban has been able to regain control. What's the first thing they do? They flog women in the streets. They bulldoze girls' schools. And they impose this brutal you know, Sharia, a form of, of, of Sharia uh, on, on the population. Um, well, now, what's going to happen with that refugee crisis? Well, I mean, that refugee crisis, as a result of this increased violence, is going to destabilize countries in the region, Pakistan, a nuclear-armed country. But they're also going to go in, into Europe as well. The problem will not remain contained there. And as the Taliban takes over portions of territory and resources, they're going to get access to, to the drug trade. They're going to get access to the, to the profits associated with it. They're going to become more powerful. They're going to become more powerful because they're going to declare victory, right? They're going to put up the black flag over the areas that they conquered and, and, and declare that the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan has returned. And you know what? Our, then our self-delusion will be apparent, the self-delusion that there is a bold line between the Taliban and other terrorist groups. We know for a fact, Brian, you know, I mean, the U.N. has said this, right, that al-Qaeda is completely intertwined uh, with, with the Taliban. So why did we go there? We went there to deny jihadist terrorists a safe haven and support base that can be used to plan, prepare, resource, train for mass murder attacks against us. And you, know, and you know what, Brian? We saw this happen already before with the complete disengagement from Iraq in December 2000, uh, 2012. And, and what happened uh, after that, 2011? 
uh, was the rise of ISIS, right? Al-Qaeda in Iraq 2.0. And guess what? We had to go back. We had to go back at, at, a, at a much higher cost after ISIS took control of territory the size of Britain and, and began to plan, prepare, and execute mass murder attacks in Europe. They shot down a Russian airliner, and they inspired attacks in the United States as well. So, you know, for a very, very small commitment of troops, with the Afghans bearing the brunt of the fight, we had the outcome in Afghanistan that we wanted, and we gave it up. I mean, this is – we have defeated ourselves in Afghanistan, Brian. And, and uh, I, know. You know, I, I, I hope that there's the will somewhere, you know, somewhere uh, to, to sustain the support for the Afghan government and the Afghan people. I know, especially, General, you, when you've been on the ground like you have, it, it really, it really hits home. Uh, I, because they were, they were going to point to, they're both administrations going to point to each other, and they're going to have po- a political, they're going to have a political escape hatch, and that bothers me because I just want the result. I don't care what party benefits, and this is not going to be the result uh, that we what we want. General McMaster, always great to talk to you. A lot of the details of this, of these contentious issues, are in your book, Battlegrounds. Thanks, General. Hey, thanks, Brian. Have a great weekend, everybody. You, you thanks, too, Brian. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. What are the possibilities? Certainly the possibilities of that most coronaviruses that we know of are of origin from, that have infected the population, SARS-CoV-1, um, MERS, uh, generally come from an animal origin. Um, and Are there um, any other possibilities? Certainly a lab-based origin is one possibility. Yeah, no kidding, lab-based. We had to get to that. For some reason, we're dancing around that. It's not our fault, unless, of course, grants went to the Wuhan lab- laboratory, knowing they were doing some risky inspir- experiments that we couldn't get past here, if that is indeed the case. You know, this hour, we'll post it when it's done if you miss it because uh, different affiliates take us different hours, and that's great. And um, Nicholas Wade's going to be with us. I've never seen a more comprehensive article, real detailed article, uh, column about where this virus could have come from and the questions that still have to be answered. But you just wait, and I think this matters, and I hope we could do this together, Republicans and Democrats. we got to get to the origin of this story. But the problem is too many people are invested in calling it quackery, like, for example, on Morning Joe, when Rand Paul brought up the origin of the virus, cut 22. It's like ripped from the pages why of QAnon. I, mean, it really, I don't know why he does. It's really strange. He, it's more than strange. It's disturbing. It's part of a bigger picture. Has a doctor at the front of his name. Uh, for <laughs> some reason, uh, seems to go further out there than anybody else. Yeah, that's the problem. Everyone's on the record calling it scheme, you know, Trump, uh, Trump derangement syndrome, QAnon. And when it all fingers point back to the Wuhan lab, that should unite Americans, not divide them. And that's where all the fingers are pointing. Origin story should matter. It always matters with us. Go to BrianKillMeatShow.com or to the podcast. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
from the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world, where even last night, I mean, crazy things in Times Square. Uh, you have the Palestinian uh, Americans, I imagine, and uh, Jewish Americans about to go at it because of what's happening in the Middle East. It's all around the world. Chris Wallace coming up at the bottom of the hour, Geraldo on deck. Uh, so uh, being that we have very little time and a lot of great guests and information, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. CNN host Chris Cuomo repeatedly advised Andrew Cuomo on dealing with the spate of sexual harassment allegations by joining conference calls that included top members of the New York governor's staff, lawyers, and outside strategists. Report says Chris Cuomo urged his brother to take a defiant stance, not resign, not give in to cancel culture. The Cuomo kids controversy embarrassing the state CNN and the Me Too movement. The left wing celebrated and lauded the governor and the anchor as they might and as they continue to smugly praise each other on national TV. That happened for months and months. And now they cover themselves in shame as they remain silent with nine separate accusers. And that's just one of the controversies. And he stays in office. Number two. What is this? The honor system? The honor system as to whether somebody has been vaccinated? Do you want them breathing in your face on the strength of their honor? The House of the Representatives chamber is not a Petri dish. Well, mask mayhem. Speaker Pelosi caught maskless while fining Republicans for refusing to abide by her ridiculous mask policy. Attention. Follow the science crowd. You know who you are. If you are vaccinated, it does not matter who is not vaccinated. This is a pure power hate trip by the soon-to-be former speaker. Number one. Over the last 11 days, I spoke with the Prime Minister six times. I've also spoken with President Abbas of the Palestinian Authority. And I want to also thank everyone on our team for their incredible efforts to bring this about, this outcome that we're about to see. Uh, That is President Biden taking credit, I guess, for the ceasefire between Hamas and Israel. My sense, it's more of a pause. Amazingly, despite the complete absence of fact, President Biden does decide to take credit. What really happened and why have so many Democrats become anti-Israel? Why don't senior members who know better, like Senator Schumer, speak up? Let's bring in Geraldo Rivera on that. Geraldo, are you surprised the number of Democrats who have come out uh, against Israel? That's a great question. Uh, Brian, and I I think that something is definitely happening among Democrats, among Jewish Americans who are Democrats. They vote progressively, obviously, but they have now been, I think, influenced by their children and all these movements now on campuses. Uh, There is an impatience uh, that is understandable, in my view, with Israel. Israel wants the status quo to continue indefinitely, where there's a nibbling away at the Palestinian territories with settlements and so forth. And when then violence happens, uh, there is this disproportionate conflict. And a lot of American Jews are sick of the cycle. We want Oslo. We want the two-state solution attempted, at least. But do you know why Uh, that can never happen better than anybody? You, You used to go into Ramallah. And speak to Yasser Arafat. Right. You're the I only did. one. 
and you know you go back and forth, and you would know Benjamin Netanyahu. You knew him when he was in American colleges. So yeah, no right. one has and to we tell you. Cigars together. Yeah. We we had plenty of right. casual time together. But there used to be a person on the other side who meet with met with Bill Clinton. I think more than any other leader, not world, but you know when he was running the PLO. There's nobody on the other side to talk to. And the minute they had that election and Hamas won, the Palestinian Authority broke from Hamas, and they are losing power every day. Hamas gaining power. Because they're supported by outside forces, but they have no interest in. There's nobody to talk to there. Well, you you may be right, and pessimists always win in the Middle East. Is no anyone who is an optimist that this will somehow be cured is, I think, setting themselves up for real profound frustration and and disappointment. It is a difficult a difficult problem. You have two people living in one one space. How you divide it up and, and, and try to do it in a peaceful way, I think, you need Mahatma Gandhi. You need, you need some visionary, Sister Teresa. You need uh, Mother Teresa. You need— I have a better uh, idea. What, who? The Abraham Accords was a template. What you're doing is you, make, uh, you have recognition from the supporting states— you have trade deals and travel. You get an understanding like Egypt and Jordan have to the best of their abilities, uh, as much as their culture would allow with Israel. They see that Israel is never going to be a threat to them. They have no interest uh, in a threat to Jordan, no interest in threatening any of their neighbors. They just want to survive, but and they're going to bulk up to do it. And then you see so much pressure, it will make the Palestinian people get somebody to represent them that will do be actually, actually act in their best interest. It seems to me that your monologue of the last two minutes should be the template. Why aren't the Democrats using that pragmatic approach? Why didn't the Republicans use that pragmatic approach? I think that pressure has to be put on both sides, but Israel has to know that we will not give them offensive capability unless and until they engage in the discussions that you just laid out. I agree with you. No, but That's I, the way I, to do it. Let but, them build a wall between these two people as high as the sky. Put Americans there to help enforce, uh, help police the uh, the peace. But at least do something. You can't just continue to allow, you say, Hamas uh, gets elected and all they want is terror. They don't want terror. They want power like every other politician. There are two million people terror in to Gaza, achieve power. two million. Right. They can't move. Both. They can't leave. They can't go to school. They can't go to weddings. They're, they're trapped there. They can't fish in their own water. I mean, Israel must understand that this status quo is untenable. And the Palestinians have to understand that unless and until they guarantee the existence of Israel, they'll never be anything or get anything. Exactly. But someone has you're, to leave the I mean, put it this way. I, I think I should be clear. I mean, nothing against the Palestinian people, but the Palestinians in Jordan understand that the Israelis have no interest in hurting them or their lives. And the Palestinians throughout who are living in throughout the Middle East understand that. They're not targeted by Israel. So if you just talk to the other world leaders and they see the trade and the trust that comes with relations and travel and establishing relations already happened with Bahrain, Sudan, United Arab Emirates. We already know it happened with Jordan and Gunner. Egypt. And Qatar, right? So this was about to happen with Saudi Arabia if Trump was reelected, but it's all undone because Iran is bulked up. They're using they're using the the willingness for Americans in Vienna to enter that program again. I mean, the fact that Joe Biden didn't bring up Iran's role 
in this shows that he's willing to sacrifice just like Barack Obama in order to get a deal that nobody wants. If you're talking about the Iran deal, I'm I'm not so sure that nobody wants it. Uh, Europe obviously wants it. And I think that Iran— Nobody in America. I think that America should— should want it. I, I disagree with you on that. I think to allow uh, the current situation with Iran to fester is a mistake. We I also get think there. putting we our did. chips on Saudi Arabia is a mistake. I, I trust Iran more than I trust Saudi Arabia. That's how far I go with it. Uh, but I think that what you described needs a leader. Who is going to be the leader? Who's going to be the person that says to both sides, you have no future unless there's a future together? Uh, you know, it's, it's, is Joe Biden strong enough to do that? Is he going to say Kamala Harris is in charge of that, the way she's in charge of the border? Uh, you know, I, I want to see who's – it's not Blinken. Uh, you know, I've never seen a less impressive uh, – I don't, I, I don't mean to disrespect the man, but he doesn't seem uh, – first of all, he's Jewish, so the Palestinians aren't going to trust him. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I think that you need, you need a great man. You need a great man now to get in there and and try to make peace. Otherwise, it's just going to be this cycle of violence. Yeah, I've covered but, it so often. But the problem I don't is, even go anymore because I know I know how it plays out. In my in, I right. know they, I was there when they put the Iron Dome missile system in, which n- neutered most of the Palestinian uh, capabilities. Right. Uh, you know, where, where do you go from here? Well, you yeah. Do well, you, st- you start with this, uh, Geraldo. Uh, uh, Israel is our one of our greatest allies, and they should be backed use influence if they act irresponsibly, but I don't see them acting irresponsibly. I think they're acting in self-defense, and sometimes the best self-defense is an offense. But this was a response to rockets. But I want to but get you— let, let me just let me just one sentence to that. It begs, begs a, a, a contradiction. The Israeli Air Force is massive. It's one of the best in the world. They're using F-16s, F-15s, and other aircraft, some made by them. They're using— bombs and missiles in a place it's like bombing manhattan and not expecting civilian casualties it is a a response that is one that will always put israel on the defensive in terms of the world community you'll always have disproportionate casualties you'll always have palestinian children being killed by the dozens uh, you know, it's it's it, it can't go on. So it's so if you put a rocket in somebody's neighborhood, you're upset when that neighborhood gets hit. You actually. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, then don't put a rocket in the neighborhood. Hell yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I agree. But, so, uh, you know, you're going to have this situation. You're wondering why the Jewish community, students especially, are turning against Israel. It's because they see the news and they see that Israel lost a child and it was tragic and the Palestinians lost 20 or 30 or 40. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it can't be allowed to continue. We can't pretend it doesn't exist. We've got to try and do right. something, but again, I'm well, very pessimistic. Yeah, it's it's a it's a laziness to the fight. Oh, Israel's the problem. It is a laziness. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's okay. Well, there's there's more casualties here, so I guess uh, that was wrong for them. When you get four thousand rockets sent your direction relentlessly, and it all comes from Iran, and I think it's the UAE has elements in there that are also supporting this. That's got to be addressed. Um, and we'll see. I, I did like the fact that Joe Biden wasn't doing what Barack Obama didn't come out and condemn and. 
uh, and have sources to say he has no faith in Benjamin Netanyahu. I like the fact that Joe Biden was quiet, but I cannot believe he's giving in to his left flank like this. I do want to get another area, which uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but here's Nancy Pelosi on her mask mandate staying in the House floor. Cut 11. What is this, the honor system? The honor system as to whether somebody's been vaccinated? Do you want them breathing in your face on the strength of their honor? So let, let's just see. Um, let's just see. I mean, again, we have this is about science and governance and science and governance. We have a responsibility to make sure of that the House of the Representatives chamber is not a Petri dish for the, uh, because of the selfishness of some not to be vaccinated. Geraldo, does she understand that you can't get it if you've been vaccinated? You can't give it if you've been vaccinated. It doesn't even affect her. It's personal responsibility at this point. That's what the science says. I mean, do, you, do you believe this childness? Sean Hannity and I were together on Monday at my golf tournament. I went into the golf club, Old Westbury. The first thing they asked me, and it's my tournament, 33rd year. Hi, Geraldo, where's your proof of vaccination? I had to prove with my little vaccination ticket that I had indeed been vaccinated. Why? I think that that should be the rule at every ball game. It should be the rule at any public gathering over a certain amount. It should certainly be the rule in the United States Congress. Why not have everybody in that building forced to prove their really? vaccination status? That's a road you want to go down? That's a road you want to go down? I say vaccination Prove it just like no no shoes, no service, no shirt, no but, but, service. But what about no following the science? It, no what service. about following the science? Science says you can't give it, you can't get it if you're vaccinated. It's up to my personal responsibility. How do you know people are vaccinated? Huh? So. Doesn't matter. If I got vaccinated or didn't, it's my decision. You're not gonna you're not gonna make me uh, do. Uh, what did what, you carry it home to your six year old? Why would I? I have been vaccinated. And what if I did? That's my responsibility. But, Harald, that's my responsibility. If I drink too much in the car, I'm going to get arrested. That's fine. Why not not proving it the same way when you drive your car, you have to prove you have a license? Why not have a vaccine license? Why not? What's the big deal? I think it's a huge deal because because you've got to play it out. You got to play it out. What, what if there's something else that's got to be done? We don't know what the next coronavirus is going to. So I got to go around. I got to decide what goes into my body. I know I'm vaccinated. That's my choice. And you but the, with the minute they came out last week and said you can't get it and you can't spread it once you've been vaccinated, it's called now the American freedom, and that's personal responsibility. And why not have proof of vaccination? What's the big deal? What's for for me, I got vaccinated, but I am not a doctor. I made my own personal choice. And most every doctor I talk to has gotten vaccinated. But I'm every, not going to tell people what to do. Gotten vaccinated. And we, everybody should. And any, anyone who doesn't get vaccinated is, is irresponsible, reckless, and selfish. But that's your opinion, and you might be right. But it's just your opinion. I can't mandate in America that someone's got to get a certain medicine. Well, you're, you're, you're the nicest person. You have strong views, but you express them in such a welcoming way that I can't disagree with you. <laughs> yeah, Araldo, why didn't you tell me about your tournament? 
Oh, it's, it's wonderful. You know, I did the exposés uh, years ago on the institutions yeah. for the developmentally disabled, and we've been raising money to get them out of those places and into small community-based residences for 50 years now. We did uh, the concerts with John Lennon and John Denver. They were wonderful. Then uh, I did my boxing matches on Wall Street. I'd fight whoever put up the most money. And then for the last 33 years, after I got tired of getting beaten up, we've been doing this golf tournament. Sean's been part of it. Bill O'Reilly was part of it when he was uh, an anchor on our station. And it's really nice. It's old Westbury. It's in your neighborhood. Next year, you do it. Absolutely. Um, I'm taking some lessons, so I might be competent enough to get out there and not embarrass my whole family. (laughs) Geraldo, thanks so much. Like I do. All right, thanks. Geraldo, where do we go if we want to contribute? Life's, I'm so glad you asked, Life's Work, W-O-R-C, not W-O-R-K. It used to be Working Organization for Retarded Children where you don't use the R word anymore. So it's Life's Work. W-O-R-C. And uh, you know, if you give enough, we'll name a house after you. We've got 50 of them now in the, in the New York metropolitan area and beyond. All right, Geraldo, go get them. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, you very it. much. Back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. When my brother's situation became turbulent, being looped into calls with other friends of his and advisors that did include some of his staff, I understand why that was a problem for CNN. It will not happen again. It was a mistake because I put my colleagues here, who I believe are the best in the business, in a bad spot. I never intended for that. I would never intend for that. And I am sorry for that. Is that accepted? Uh, Chris Cuomo doing something almost everyone expected. But to a great degree, he was on with, uh, with conference calls with staffers, with the governor, his brother, finding out a strategy uh, to get him out of these scandals. Will, uh, you're listening right now on the Brian Kilmeade Show. What's on your mind? All right, we're having problems with our phones. With the Cuomo situation... I actually think this is as bad as it gets uh, in terms of a anchor dealing with a governor in the middle of a national uh, scandal, multiple national scandal, and advising him to basically deny everything and attack. And that's why a woman's group has come forward and said that CNN should suspend Chris Cuomo. Believe me, there's no women's group who wants to suspend Democrats. They wanted to go after him, but they have now forfeited the Me Too movement as long as Governor Cuomo stayed in office all this time. It is done. Between that and uh, and Al Franken and others, forget it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
And now it's time to clear the airwaves for the president of the Brian Kilmeade Show Labor Union. This is really all about you. I am the greatest of all time. Calling out unfair labor practices. I somehow have a feeling that after last week you said to them, look, enough of Chris. We need to focus on me. I'm the big guy. Shh. I'm pretty sure he can hear us. It's a little bit like it's like a, a Kilmeade pandemic. This is not the way I should be treated. Yep. He can definitely hear us. We'll talk more after the show. The lover of labor, the defender of the diminished, and the stalwart of the staff, Chris Wallace. (laughs) Once again, they have turned on you. I know. Has turned on you and is siding with me against the tyranny that is (laughs) Brian Kilmey. You're, you're the, the, the only person that exceeds me in the respect to amongst my own staff is you. They're, they're more concerned with pleasing you than me. I don't know how that happened because you don't you don't give them reviews. You know, you're not the one who buys them dinner or lunch or shoes. I'm doing all those things. I don't I don't incidentally view this in any way, shape or form as affection or respect for me. I think it's only a commentary on how much they hate you. You don't think that you think they keep the job just for the paycheck? <laughs> That's, that has got to be the silliest question you've ever asked. No, they do it because they love you, Brian. That's why they do it. They love you. Well, I'm going to have to have a deep therapy session. Maybe one of the social workers that were going to be traveling with the police with police reform, maybe they'll stop here and maybe deal with some of my societal issues that I have in the Kilmeade. Uh, Can I say one issues. more thing about your, your staff, which I'm sure you don't even know? What? You're Allison Mansfield, the, the crack producer of the Brian Kilmeade. Show. Yes. She's having a birthday today. She's 40 years old. Allison, I know you're out there. Congratulations. Happy birthday. Uh, I just would ask, has Brian acknowledged your birthday in any way, shape, or form so far? Allison is not here today. I know that. So wherever she is, she's probably she's probably on the beach somewhere. But you know what? The way I feel like 40 is not that big a deal. I think uh, 50 is the bigger deal. So we're not going to pay any attention to it. So, so if 50 is the big deal, right? how old are you, incidentally? None of your business. Because I, this is Are going. You over fifty or under fifty? I am over. So, did you feel like that was a big turning point when you turned fifty? I don't know. I just, according to reports, and I've talked to a lot of reporters, I'm getting better. So, uh, I don't know if you think that. Are you trying to infer that things were better <laughs> when I was no, years ago? You're the one who said that fifty is the big. Is the big birthday? I'm just wondering why it was big to you. Well, I just I think know. that you know, 40 is so young. Why even point it out? No, we were going to do something for her next hour, Chris. So you kind of mess with it. <laughs> so, oh, you told him that? Okay. So you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, another another rebellion by your staff. Eric <laughs> told me. He said, "Look, I think Brian's going to just ignore Allison's birthday. So would you please mention it? Because you know she's <laughs> sitting there waiting." Her boss to say something, and and he's not going to say anything because it's all about him. Oh my this God. is this is this is how they view you, Brian. Well, you know, I thought the Israeli Hamas conflict was tough to navigate, but this has proven to be more of a bear. And and, and no ceasefire in in sight. Well, yes, uh, but let's do the easy part. Let's talk about Hamas and Israel as we as we uh, jog over there. 
Do you think this is – you've been through this so many times. Is this more of a – is this ceasefire or is this a pause? It's just a pause. Now, it could be a pause that lasts for years, but did anything fundamentally change between Israel and uh, Hamas? Uh, no. Uh, and, in fact, if anything, it got worse. You know, I was thinking to myself uh, – I was uh, the other day as I'm looking and I'm not taking sides in this thing, but as I'm looking at what's going on with the rockets raining down from Gaza into Israel and the, the, the missiles raining down from Israeli warplanes into Gaza. And you see the, the, the dead people and the, and, and the children who's lost their parents. And all you can think to yourself is this is just this just is another generation of people who are going to hate each other. And, and, you know, look, there's enough to talk about as to whose fault it is and what is there any solution. But when you have this kind of slaughter, uh, uh, you know, on both, well, it wasn't slaughter, but I mean, two, more than 230 people killed total uh, and, and, you know, devastation, certainly in Gaza, that and, and, and just the fear. I've been in Israel when those air raid sirens go off and it's scary as can be. Um, it just it just breeds another generation of enmity between the two sides. Right. Uh, this is an issue over, of course, Jerusalem again and West Bank apartments. And in turn, rockets rain. Four thousand hit Israel all time high. And then you have uh, fighter jets hit that area. And I will say this. The thing that gave me just stunned me for especially Middle East experts, the Abraham Accords. And the fact is that there's so much frustration in the Arab world for the Palestinians who refuse to come to the table in some respects. And as long as Hamas is heading them up, they'll never meet, ever. So there's never going to be a Yasser Arafat meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu or his replacement because Abbas, his replacement, is in his 80s, totally ineffective, and now playing second fiddle to Hamas. So when you see Sudan, Qatar, Bahrain, UAE, Oman— Create relationships, trade and travel relationship with Israel. That's ultimately what's going to happen. To isolate the Palestinians until they can get representative of people that care about them and less about total annihilation of Israel. Well, look, I think the Abraham Accords are good, and I credit President Trump for that. And obviously, to the degree you can, you can dial down the tensions between Arab and Israeli in the Middle East, but I mean, the one flaw in the Abraham Accords is that it has completely gone around and ignored the, the, the battle between the fight between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And, you know, it, the Palestinians don't need a lot of support, and they get enough, you know, from Iran and, and other uh, terrorist-supporting groups, and, and, you know, all they need is the rockets. I... Look, I, I, I used to I think there was one point uh, when or several points, but it was a long time ago when it really did look like there was a possibility of an accord. You know, we've seen it in, in the world in places that were insoluble between blacks and whites in South Africa, between Protestants and Catholics in Ireland. But it just this one seems to be impossible to solve. And, you know, there's an old saying in the Middle East, the Palestinians never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And there was really an opportunity, especially under Clinton, when you had the Oslo Accords and uh, Netanyahu, uh, rather Arafat and Rabin 
on the South Lawn of the White House with Bill Clinton when it looked like there really could be a deal. And I have to say, the Palestinians blew it, and I'm, I'm just not sure they're ever going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle again. I, I think that's great memory, great recall. Yasser Arafat was one of the most visited leaders uh, to the White House at that point, and he totally let uh, Bill Clinton down. He'll tell you about that, and he wrote about it in his book. I want to pass forward to something we haven't talked about because I've never been able to bring this up. I didn't think it was real when I first heard it. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, the Democratic mayor of uh, Chicago, with by all accounts has more in her plate and has been seemingly less effective than any politician outside Mayor de Blasio who's napping again. Here's what she said her new policy is, not to give interviews to white reporters. Cut 23. The City Hall Press Corps needs to reflect the diversity of our city. It's way past time for the City Hall Press Corps and the people that do the hiring and make the decisions to get the memo. We are in a time where we're having a powerful and important conversation around systemic racism in every institution. And the press and the media can't be exempt from that conversation. So she's deciding only to speak to Hispanic and black reporters. Is that okay? You know, I've I've, I've thought about this one a lot as well. I understand the desire to make a statement about diversity. And Lord knows, I mean, we see it at Fox. We see it at every place. These institutions are really working hard to have greater diversity. But I've got to say, I think the mayor of all the people in the city to just put a blanket statement out, I'm only going to speak to people of color, reporters of color. I'm not going to speak to any white reporter. That's just that, there's something that feels wrong about that. I, I you know, I, I understand the sentiment, but it just feels like it, it goes a step too far. Chris, with with there, there's 49 people got shot last weekend. I mean, you know what's going on in that city. You could bring that up if, if you're doing a magazine interview about things that matter. But to make a statement as if that's the priority of a mayor whose city is falling apart with gang violence, who can't get their kids back in school, to think that she's going to say the problem is white reporters, most of these institutions, these, these newspapers, tend to lean left anyway. So, go, you know, go have a private meeting with some the CEOs of major newspapers. But to make that statement... And it just further just fuels anger in the community, uh, in every community, when you see stuff like that. Here is Muriel Bowser, your mayor in D.C., cut 24. I think that she used the occasion of her anniversary to to make a point. Uh, I support her, uh, and I support working with with everybody that is covering City Hall um, in in Washington, D.C., fairly. But I do think it's a fair point, because I don't think many people think about it. Um, that that uh, all of our news outlets concentrate on diversity. Really? Nobody thinks about it? Uh, really? Yeah, we don't even think about it, Chris. We, no one's ever thinking about I, I have to say, I thought Bowser handled that pretty well. I mean, she look, she's, she's in a majority black city, and she was basically asked about it, and she was saying, I can understand the point. She, I can understand the point, but I wouldn't do it. Um, I'd like your staff, who does seem to like me a lot more than they like you, to mark this particular moment, which is what, about 1047 uh, on on this particular date, because I am going to say something that I probably have never said before and may not say since. I agree with you. I think with all the problems in in Chicago and Lord knows violence in the streets is an enormous one that, you know, and particularly on the anniversary of her becoming mayor, I, it's a point she can make, uh, but but I don't think it's 
the, the predominant issue facing Chicagoans or worrying Chicagoans at this point, diversity in the White House, uh, in the uh, City Hall Press Corps. Incidentally, I used to be a member of the City Hall Press Corps when Richard J. Daley was the mayor of Chicago back in the 1970s. Now, did he ever talk to you? Because you were white then. <laughs> yeah, I, and, and I'm going to just sort of a, a note, I'm still white. Um, <laughs> The the yes, the mayor Daly did speak to me uh, and uh, we had a couple of good, interesting go rounds. He was you know, he was the mayor. He was the boss. Um, but race was a big issue in Chicago then. And it's obviously still a big issue in Chicago now. Yep. Hey, Chris, I enjoyed our time. Some of it anyway. I hope we could do it again next week. Fox News Sunday will feature how many people? Uh, we are uh, going to have a top Israeli official, maybe. Benjamin Netanyahu, but if not the Israeli uh, ambassador to the U.S., uh, we're going to have uh, the split inside the Republican Party uh, over that January 6th commission. We'll be talking to Adam Kinzinger, who voted for the commission, and Senator Roy Blunt, who's going to vote against it in the Senate and probably help kill it in the Senate. So uh, the, the split there among Republicans, the split among Democrats over Israel, will ask the Israelis how they feel about that. You'll be the only show to cover split among Democrats. Uh, but uh, that, that makes your show the best. Fox News Sunday. Chris Wallace, thanks so much. And happy birthday, Allison. At least I said it. <laughs> Thank you, Chris Wallace. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It just goes to show, I'm just thinking about this show, and I'm thinking as much as I know, is there a need to know more? More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, here we go. The House Ethics Committee has scrapped the $5,000 fine. Why? Because it went against Democrats. James Clyburn and Hal Rogers, a Republican, Clyburn was involved. They said that they shrugged past security, were fined $5,000, about to come out of their paycheck, but then they looked at it, the ethics-wise, and they said it was just a mistake because of uh, Nancy Pelosi bulked up security because of what happened on January 6th. Clyburn, the third-ranking House Democrat, was hit with that fine. Capitol Police accused him of avoiding metal detectors while returning from the bathroom during a floor vote. At no time, he said, that I refuse any officer's request. Next. Furious William and Harry say Martin Bashir, BBC interviewer, led to Diana's death. It turns out Furious William and Harry have blasted the BBC from separate locations for tricking Princess Diana to giving her infamous interview, which they said fueled her fear, paranoia, and isolation. William insisted the paranoia special should never be aired again, adding the interview was a major contribution to my parents' relationship worse and since hurt countless others. Uh, the main thing they said, the BBC has apologized. Uh, in August 1997, Diana died in a crash, as you know. Uh, the princess the princess spoke out in the wake of the findings of an official report by Lord Dyson released Thursday, which cascaded Bashir, who wooed Diana into giving the interview by using fake documents, including a mock-up bank statement that purported to show palace staff being paid for stories about her. That got her mad enough to do the interview. 
Harry, go, go ahead. It is welcome that the BBC accepts Lord Dyson's findings in full, which are extremely concerning. That BBC employees lied and used fake documents to obtain the interview with my mother, made lurid and false claims about the royal family, which played on her fears and fueled paranoia, displayed woeful incompetence when investigating complaints and concerns about the programme and were evasive in their reporting to the media and covered up what they knew from their internal investigation. Right, pretty terrible. Keeping up next, keeping up with the Bidens, Hunter and wife Melissa met with producers in 2019 to get this pitch a reality TV show to soften his father's image. Do you believe this? It's nuts. The battle for the soul inside the Democrats' campaign to defeat Trump hit shows May 25th. That is in the book. The other part of that was in the book that said Jill Biden went up to Kamala Harris or said to supporters about Kamala Harris after she went after now President Biden uh, and said he can go blank himself. She can go blank herself after accusing him of being a racist. And finally, this story. According to reports unconfirmed by many, but confirmed by this staff, including lead producer Pete and Eric, their co-lead producers, Allison Mansfield turns a very special birthday now. For more on Allison's birthday, let's go to Allison, who's in a remote really? location. Happy birthday, it's, Allison. Oh, Happy thank birthday. you, Brian. Thank <laughs> you, Happy Pete. Birthday. Thank you, Eric. You guys are too friggin' much. There's no need to do this, but thank you. And thank you to Chris. Wallace, right, who said that earlier in right. the hour as well. He's the only one that really cares about you, obviously, Allison. That was the point Clearly. of the whole segment. I and know. If someone's going to care about me, though, it's, I'm happy that it's Chris Wallace. <laughs> Absolutely, because he's got the power. <laughs> he's on a network does, show. We're stuck on cable. Hot, How are you celebrating? Um, honestly, by standing on my deck right now, listening to one of the best radio shows in the nation. I told you, I thought you were supposed <laughs> to be listening to our show. How dare you? <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> Indeed. Well, yeah, no, no, but, uh, yeah, no, nothing crazy. It's just All right, Allison, we all, we all appreciate you. Uh, we want you to celebrate your birthday and promise at some point you'll get drunk. <laughs> I promise. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. You know we come to you from New York, a city that's allowed to stand at a bar and not eat and, and, and not have to order something to eat. It's really unbelievable. And we are also coming to heard around the country, heard around the world. I'm going to bring on Nicholas Wade at the bottom of the hour. He's the author and journalist, and he served on the staff, as staff writer for Science Times section of the New York Times from 82 to 2012. He did such a comprehensive look at the whole origin of the China virus, the coronavirus that is poisoning the world still that we're finally getting out from underneath of. Uh, I just thought we have to have him on. Now, there's a chance we're not going to get through everything that he has researched and concluded that went on at that Wuhan lab, but it's worth a try, and we could always have him back. And the great Shannon Bream will be joining us shortly, Fox News at night. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. 
CNN host Chris Cuomo repeatedly advised Andrew Cuomo on dealing with the spate of sexual harassment allegations by joining conference calls that included top members of the New York governor's staff, lawyers, and outside strategists. Report says Chris Cuomo urged his brother to take a defiant stance, not resign, not give in to cancel culture. The Cuomo kids controversy embarrassing the state, embarrassing CNN, and the Me Too movement. The left wing celebrated and lauded the governor and the anchor as they smugly praised each other on national TV for months. And now they cover them. Now they cover themselves in shame. They remain silent, but we will not. Number two. What is this? The honor system. The honor system as to whether somebody has been vaccinated. Do you want them breathing in your face on the strength of their honor? The House of the Representatives chamber is not a petri dish. She doesn't even know what she's talking about, just full of venom and anger. The mask mayhem. Speaker Pelosi caught maskless, by the way, at the White House, now saying nobody on the House floor uh, can go on the floor without using a mask. Why? The Senate's okay. The White House okay. She says, well, not everybody tells me they're vaccinated. It doesn't matter. If you're vaccinated, you can't carry, you can't get. What does she not understand about following the science? Number one. Over the last 11 days, I spoke with the Prime Minister six times. I've also spoken with President Abbas of the Palestinian Authority. And I want to also thank everyone on our team for their incredible efforts to bring this about, this outcome that we're about to see. Uh, I'm not saying that they didn't do anything. And I know they pride themselves on quiet diplomacy. We all do. And you have to take their word for it. But the people that deserve credit is Egypt. Cease fire between Hamas and Israel. My sense is it's more of a pause. President Biden takes credit. Don't know why. What really happened and why so many Democrats have become anti-Israeli. And why don't many senior members of the Democratic Party speak up like Senator Schumer and say, pipe down. Joining us now, Shannon Bream. She's the, she's the author of The Women of the Bible, The Wisdom of 16 Women, and their lessons for today. And she also hosts Fox News at night at midnight. Shannon, welcome back. Great to be with you. Happy Friday. Same to you. I'm sure you were one of the first to hear about the so-called pause or, or um, I guess, a session of violence for now. But we've been through this drill before, Shannon. It's coming back, right? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of concerns by people in the region and far beyond that, that these are Band-Aids. I mean, that you do have this temporary pause. Um, you know, uh, the people who support Hamas love it in that they think, hey, there's a chance for them to rebuild and start this again. Um, Israelis, you know, I think, and Palestinians alike, like the idea of stopping the violence because they're innocent civilians who get caught up in this whole thing. Uh, Israel's defending itself. And, um, you know, there are going to be people in the crossfire. But, you know, just about everybody thinks this is only a because it's been going on for generations. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, you, Hamas is not a partner. So there's nobody even to say is a bad partner. There's zero partners. We don't recognize them, then we shouldn't. They don't have the best interest of the Palestinian people, in my mind. Uh, but we'll talk about that. I want to get to something else because you're a lawyer. And so is Chris Cuomo. He was giving advice to the former attorney general of New York and on, a fo- on phone calls with his staff, with the governor's staff. Ethically, is that a problem? Well, it is if you're covering this. You know what I mean? And, and what CNN will say and what Cuomo, Chris Cuomo's defenders will say is that, well, he didn't report on the sexual harassment allegations because he knew he couldn't be objective. Well, I, you know, I think, of course, if it's your brother or sister, you're probably going to be giving them advice. This was an organized group, which CNN seems to you know, admit was not a great idea. But the thing is, even if you weren't 
if you weren't reporting on the sexual harassment allegations, you're having them on for good stories. You're doing positive stories. You're joking around with the giant cotton swab, and you're talking about what a great job he's doing on other things. So even if you're not covering the one side, you, if you are covering the positives, you are still covering your brother and his, uh, you know, his tenure as governor. And so, you know, it's really sticky. I think it's it's messy. Um, who among us wouldn't want to help our siblings? But when it's done in this coordinated kind of media strategy fashion, um, you know, even for CNN, that raised some red flags. So you have the Me Too movement where every woman is to be believed. Do you remember that with the Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh, right? Every woman go should be believed. We understand that. And Governor Cuomo was the first to say that. Now when it comes to nine separate accusers of sexual harassment, he used to do this, sexual harassment, Chris Cuomo's advice was blame it on cancel culture. And guess what played out on the national stage? Cut, cut 37. Politicians take positions for all sorts of reasons, including political expediency and bowing the pressure. But people know the difference between playing politics, bowing to counsel, cancel culture, and the truth. People know the difference between playing politics, bowing to cancel culture, and the truth. Let the review proceed. I'm not going to resign. I was not elected by the politicians. I was elected by the people. Part of this is that I am not part of the political club. That's exactly the uh, that was the strategy mapped out by his anchor brother. Yeah, and it worked beautifully because what about all these Democrats and Republicans in New York and beyond who were saying it's time for impeachment? You know, that's going to take forever. I don't hear a lot of people talking about it because he knew they would not have the numbers to do it in New York. And that if he just said, I'm not going anywhere, he literally would not be going anywhere. So, listen, maybe Cuomo should be uh, Chris Cuomo should be advising other politicians because his strategy has worked like a charm. But it has not stopped the cascade of different type of allegations, not accusers, the nursing homes. Now, the ethics violation of using a staff to write your book and then getting five million dollars to write about a pandemic and then giving your family preferential treatment during the heat of the pandemic when it came to testing, including your daughter's boyfriend. When Chris Cuomo tests positive, they have Secret Service pick up pick up the samples and bring them to the city for immediate use. So he's been investigated for everything. So at the at the press conference yesterday, they were asked about the five million dollar book deal. Listen to his response. Cut thirty five. The book deal, I should say, was worth more than five million dollars, and the allegations out there that you made that money on the backs of dead New Yorkers. How do you respond to that? That's stupid. Next question. So the follow-up continued. Different reporter. Cut 36. There was a person, Governor, who who lost a loved one from COVID. You know, they were upset to see you making money writing a book about how you handled COVID. Why would that be stupid? I thought your question was stupid and offensive. I wrote a book saying this is what we should learn from what has happened so far in COVID because we're not done it was all political. Blame, blame and use the emotion politically. That's what that is. Yes, people died. People died. 18 people died yesterday. Who's to blame? How do you want to politicize the 18 deaths of yesterday? Uh, you know what he's doing. Instead of saying 6,000 people died, you said nine, and then it turns out to be 16,000. And there's documents that show that you suppress those numbers in order to help sell books. 
So, or, or keep the heat off in a political environment. And your assistant was caught on tape explaining that to fellow Democrats on a conference call. So you could sit there and say, don't blame anybody for the deaths, but that's really, you're an expert at this, Shannon. Well, he's obviously, it, uh, he's deflecting. Yeah, and if he's going to say, you guys are making everything political, uh, I'm, uh, I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, you think about what happened during this and how he was ripping on then-President Trump, and he's blaming this person and that person. Like, it was almost always political with him, so I don't know why he thinks that's going to be a good deflection. I mean, like I said, it's worked enough. Like, the impeachment stuff seems to be going nowhere or on a very, very, very slow track there in New York. And so he's able to continue just disparaging other people and blaming other people and deflecting because overall it's working. He's still the governor. And a women's group has asked for him to say Chris Cuomo should be suspended. How do you feel about that? Well, uh, listen, I mean, if you've done something unethical or, or illegal, I mean, that's one thing. I mean, CNN says they're aware of what he did. It wasn't good. He won't do it moving forward. Um, but, you know, I mean, if he have, wasn't actively aiding in some kind of criminal yeah. enterprise or something, it's hard to say. Just yank him off the air. It's just so true. The biggest mistake they made was letting him being interviewed, interviewing your, his brother. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's well, obviously the biggest comedy mistake. hour when people are dying. I mean, it just doesn't seem like it was smarter in good taste in any possible scenario. Here's what he said. Cut 38. When my brother's situation became turbulent, being looped into calls with other friends of his and advisors that did include some of his staff. I understand why that was a problem for CNN. It will not happen again. It was a mistake because I put my colleagues here who I believe are the best in the business, in a bad spot. I never intended for that. I would never intend for that. And I am sorry for that. Well, uh, we'll see what happens. I've I've never seen somebody uh, uh, make bigger mistakes and still have a job. And the word is he's still going to try to run for re-election. Mm-hmm. Well, and listen, that's when it is up to voters. If New Yorkers are that angry with him and he says, politicians didn't elect me, the people did, okay, so now it's their turn. If the people of New York who live there and are represented by him have had enough and he's going to have some serious, serious baggage that's going to be trotted out, um, you know, but some, for some people it doesn't matter. Uh, um, for whatever reason that they, um, you know, support him, they feel like he represents them and their policies they want to see enacted, they'll vote yes. But ultimately it, it is up to the people they do have the power to make that decision. Well, Shannon, who do you have on tonight, or is it too early, or you want to save it for another show? Um, I don't want to give away everything up front, but I do want to say happy birthday to Allison, your amazing producer, who, let's be candid, is the brains of the operation and the secret of your success. Absolutely, but it's not a secret anymore. You just blew it. You tell me your guest tonight, but you'll (laughs) you'll blow up the secret of my show. How dare you? Well, you know, I just want the people to have full information. We're all about <laughs> ah, transparency. I understood. I'm not, but you are. So, I am, uh, and I'll, I'll uh, take up for where you lack in that. Uh, watch Shannon tonight, but you're also doing a great job on Special Report all week, right? Thank you. I'll see you there at 6 tonight and then again at midnight. Go get him, Shannon. Thanks. Bye. So uh, we had a chance to sit down with Lee Bryce. We went over to Panama City where he uh, goes to Rosemary Beach and creates some of the best music in country music right now. He's up for Song of the Year with Carly Pierce. And he's going to get the award or not get the award tonight on the Billboard Awards this weekend. So I thought I'd play a little of that portion of the interview. Let's listen. You, you put out a duet and just won a big award. Yeah. I mean, I hope you're happy now it was such a blessing. Carly Pierce. Did her, you find her or she find you? She found me. 
I knew her, and I had done shows like with her and like on festivals, and I, just, I knew she was talented, all that stuff. So, long story short, she came to me through management and said, "Hey, would you ever be interested in, in doing a song with Carly?" I said, "Well, yeah, she's 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 cool." I said, "But I'm a song guy, so it depends on the song." And they sent the song over, and I went, "I'm." Because <laughs> it was like this classic '90s duet. Like I didn't know what the song was gonna do because it was so classic country. Right. You know, I didn't know how people were gonna take it. But what I think happened was a lot of people didn't know what classic country sounded like. So to them, it was brand new, and it was cool. Right. And so this song blew up, and now me and her both have. Handfuls of hardware from from the ACMs, you know, coming back and seeing, you know. And you had to play on. You were going to play together. You really haven't played much together, right? No, no, not at all. No, we we played the song. We sang the song maybe four times together. And the Billboard Awards is coming up. Billboards Awards. And what are you up for that? So one of them girls is up for uh, for Country Song of the Year. Um, There's a lot. It's it's really crazy to think about the blessings of this year. Although, you know. The other side it's a of terrible the table. pandemic, yeah. but but I mean we have pushed through and we have somehow been. I mean uh, the light has shown has has just shown right on us, and, and we have been really blessed and and we're we're just going to continue to roll with it. I mean we're not going to like take it for granted. We're going to keep rolling with it. You right. know? <laughs> and he's at Death Valley shooting a video, and he hopes to win the Billboard Awards this weekend. Lee Bryce, the former Clemson Tiger offensive lineman turned country music. Superstars. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This vaccine has an efficacy of 95 to 99%. That means that if she's vaccinated, she does not need to be worried about who else is vaccinated for the most part, right? And we have 75% or more of the members of Congress that have been vaccinated. A lot of the other ones have had it. So we've got herd immunity there anyway. So there is absolutely positively no scientific reason why this is happening. And we just put a, a, Kevin McCarthy just brought a resolution to the floor that was sponsored by the Doctors Caucus. And we're demanding that the physician to Congress explain to us why he is not following the guidance of the CDC. And the reason is, is he's being controlled just like everyone on the left by Pelosi. She is on a power trip that I've never seen before. It's Ronnie Jackson, who's been around powerful people from Barack Obama to Bill Clinton to uh, George Bush to uh, President Trump. And he knows a power trip. This is not based in medical science, making people wear a, a mask on the House floor. Do you understand that? If the Senate can do it, this is all retribution. And now you're finding a guy like Brian Mass, $500 for not wearing a mask. The guy's missing his legs because he sacrificed half of the country. You think he's going to walk around and jeopardize anybody else? Unbelievable. Deborah, listening in Tulsa, Oklahoma, KRMG. Hey, Deborah. Hi. I'm 
have hung around because I took offense with one thing Geraldo said about no shirt, no vaccine, no service. Well, I happen to be one of those people that my doctor said I can't take the vaccine. Okay. And where does that leave me when I feel like I'm being popped around like a tetherball? Do the vaccine. Don't do the vaccine. I'm in the middle where I must protect myself. But everyone is screaming at you, either get the vaccine or you're a a conservative redneck or whatever. And where does that leave us legitimate people that are not allowed to take the vaccine? That's a great point. Are you immunocompromised? Uh, no, it's endocrine system. It's 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 all complicated with the thyroid, the adrenals, the sex hormones, and the immune system. It's it's a mess. It's metabolic. Gotcha. So I, I think that you know what you got to do is just do the normal thing is the, the you know to take your normal precautions. But I also think that it's up to you, right? And you you can take it. And I think that you can if we go with Araldo's way, that means that you're going to be limited to doing things, and that's ridiculous. You should not be penalized for not being able to take the vaccine. And I think that's a great point. I have not anybody call me up and say they couldn't take it. Uh, I've had people say that it still might not be effective enough once you take it. But thanks, Deborah, for that real-life experience over in Oklahoma. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We should be demanding answers. And the first thing that we should be doing is demanding that China end its massive cover-up. From day one, what they have been doing is destroying samples, hiding records, imprisoning citizen journalists. They have a universal gag order on scientists, making it illegal for them to say or write anything about the origins of the pandemic. So we need to be demanding the answers. And the reason why it's so important is the same reason why we try to understand why every plane crashes. Now, it's not that we can save that plane, but when we understand what went wrong, that gives us the upper hand of preventing that from happening again. If we don't get to the bottom of this, we are at risk for another pandemic that could be even far worse than this one. Jamie Metzl, an advisor, he, he says, hey, listen, I'm a progressive. It has nothing to do with Democrats or Republicans. I work for President Obama. I'm advisor to the WHO. That's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. Why is politics playing a role in finding out the origin of this virus? So I read Nicholas uh, Wade's very detailed column, his article about the origin of COVID, and I learned a ton. I had to read it two or three times. It's very detailed, and I believe he agrees uh, with that premise from Jamie Metzl. Nicholas Wade, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks, Brian. So I guess that's the premise, right? Let's, at the very least, find out how it happened to make sure it doesn't happen again. Uh, Absolutely. That's extremely important. So... What could you tell our listeners about what you know about the origins of this virus? Well, what I said in my article very briefly was uh, that there are two scenarios. It emerged naturally or it escaped from a, from a lab. We've got no direct evidence for either scenario. But if you look at the evidence we do have and ask which explains the evidence better, in my view, lab escape explains all the available facts much more easily than the other scenario. So that's where we are. And I think if people come to realize that, then the ball goes back in China's court. 
Up until now, they've had it easy because everyone, the mainstream uh, media has uh, embraced the natural emergence theory, leaving no pressure on China to come forward with the evidence. But now if people change their minds and say, well, it looks like lab escape, then more pressure will devolve on the Chinese authorities to, to cease this cover-up and try and explain to the world how this pandemic was unleashed on it. Very true. We're getting a little bit of progress. Here's Dr. Rochelle Walensky yesterday, cut 20. What are the possibilities? Certainly the possibilities of that most coronaviruses that we know of are of origin from, that have infected the population, SARS-CoV-1, um, MERS, uh, generally come from an animal origin. Um, and Are there um, any other possibilities? Certainly a lab-based origin is one possibility. Incremental progress? They're admitting it's a possibility. Yes, I think that definitely is progress. So, Nicholas, what, what makes what do you think makes the animal theory implausible or tough to get your head around? Well, it's a theory that was very plausible to start with because so many uh, epidemics have started this way when a virus jumps from 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 an animal host to humans. But as each month passes and we see no direct evidence in support of that, it becomes less and less likely. And the reason is in these past epidemics, the viruses have left many fingerprints in the natural environment, in the host animal, uh, in, in the bat population it came from, and in serology studies of the population. So none of that do we find in the case of the SARS-CoV-2, and therefore... Each day that passes, the, the, that scenario loses plausibility. Before we talk about China coming clean and the pressure that might make them do it, can we talk about what could have happened? Do we know there was a so-called gain-of-function uh, lab experiments happening where you actually, I guess, uh, you, you enact viruses to see how they act in order to come up with a plan of action should they escape? Uh, that, that's right. Virologists all, all around the world have been doing these experiments. You get an animal virus, you, you tweak it genetically, you soup it up in order to try and predict what might happen if nature takes its course and the virus acquires that ability naturally. So the uh, rationale is if we can uh, get a jump ahead of nature in the lab, then we'll be able to better to predict and prevent the next epidemic. So gain-of-function experiments... Uh, I think it's fairly clear they were going on in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Uh, now, there's a complicating uh, factor here in that the, some of this work was supported by the National Institutes of Health, especially during a time when there was a moratorium on funding such research. But it seems that the NIH was going by a rather narrower definition of uh, gain of function than other people. So it was abiding by the law. Um, but it was uh, uh, supporting research that may, in fact, have been uh, not correctly used by the recipients. So this is pretty significant. The NIH, don't we provide a lot of the – isn't that an American – isn't that an American institute, uh, institution that's uh, – the funding of which is controlled by Anthony Fauci? Uh, uh, Anthony Fauci controls one branch of the NIH. That's the National Institutes of Health in uh, Bethesda, Maryland. So that supports all the biomedical research in this country and in many places um, abroad. He, uh, I want you to hear a little of this battle, this back and forth between him and Rand Paul. Dr. Fauci, do you still support funding of the NIH funding of the lab in Wuhan? Senator Paul, with all due respect, 
you are entire, entirely and completely incorrect that the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute Do they fund of Dr. Barrick? Will you, in front of this group, categorically say that the COVID-19 could not have occurred through serial passage in a laboratory? I do not have any accounting of what the Chinese may have done, and I'm fully in favor of any further investigation of what went on in China. However, I will repeat again, the NIH and NIAID categorically has not funded gain-of-function research to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute. Government scientists like yourself who favor gain-of-function research. I don't favor gain-of-function research. So that back and forth, I was wondering if you could referee that for me. Who was telling the truth? Uh, well, they, they both are in a funny kind of way. This is a battle of definitions. So there, there's this, the ordinary, common-day usage of the word gain-of-function, which just means you know, increasing the ability of, of any virus to, to cause disease. And then there's a very narrow definition that was written into this moratorium on research. And I think Dr. Fauci is correct. The, the NIH was not supporting gain-of-function research according to this very narrow definition, but according to the sort of broader definition, which I, I think uh, Senator uh, Paul had in mind, and which I must say I had in mind too in writing my article, I think there definitely was gain-of-function going, uh, going on at the Wuhan Institute. They were taking these coronaviruses, they were uh, uh, changing the spike proteins in these viruses. That's, that's what determines the, the host that the virus can, can latch onto. And they were uh, uh, testing these viruses in humanized mice, which would have made them more able to infect humans. So I think there was gain of function going on in a general sense. But Dr. Fauci is correct. There was not gain of function going on in the narrow a legal sense of the of the moratorium on the research funding. So he gave to one organization in, I think, North Carolina, and that organization could have given that grant money to Wuhan. Um, no, the the, the 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 guy at North Carolina, Dr. Ralph Barrick, is the leading American expert on coronaviruses, and he did, in a separate grant, uh, receive monies from the uh, uh, the NIAID. That's Dr. Fauci's. Uh, agency. In in terms of the Wuhan Institute, the NIAID gave funds to a organization in New York called the EcoHealth Alliance, the president of which is Dr. Peter Daszak, and they in turn subcontracted to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So it's our money moved around, but it ends up over there, but it would, wouldn't be over there with the direction of Anthony Fauci. He would not control it directly. He, he would uh, control the money given to the principal investigator. That was Dr. Peter Daszak. Who is all and in. Say, yeah. By way of background, I mean, the, the, Dr. Fauci and the NIAID do have a legitimate interest in these uh, coronaviruses, which already caused two bad pandemics, the SARS-1 and one called MERS. So it's perfectly legitimate inquiry for him to uh, be supporting, uh, but it's all a question of of whether the, the, the money was being used for sort of wider purposes that were, were beyond the authorization of the NIH. Understood. Uh, 
Nicholas Wade, do you believe we're going to get to the bottom of this? What would it take to get a thorough investigation to China? We have very little leverage over there. Uh, we have very little leverage at present because uh, the mainstream uh, media and, and everyone else uh, have been favoring the natural emergence theory, which is China's story, too. So uh, uh, as long as people think that, there'll be no conceivable pressure on the Chinese to release all the information we have. But as soon as people start to say it really looks like this escape from a lab, then for the first time, we will have pressure on the Chinese. And maybe they will see that the better course of action is to be honest and straightforward and collaborate with the rest of the world in making sure this never happens again. That would be great. And do you think it? Do you think uh, we could have saved lives had they admitted it? If this was in fact the case and it was a lab accident, do you believe that quick action, world action, could have stopped this pandemic from, from being a global pandemic? Um, that's a very hard uh, uh, question. I'm not really an expert on, on epidemiology, but it certainly seems to me a possibility. I mean, it seems the Chinese knew much earlier than anyone else of this pandemic. It probably started in September. 2019, the best evidence we have. And I think they did a lot of things between then and and when the epidemic became public late, late December, that if they'd shared the information with the rest of the world, we could indeed have saved a great many lives. We just knew the nature of the virus. We were preparing for the wrong one. Uh, and we got killed. Uh, 500,000 plus coming up on 600,000. Nicholas Wade, everyone's got to read this uh, story. It's called The Origin of COVID, Following the Clues. And where can we get it? Uh, it's on medium.com and it's on the, the uh, uh, bulletin of, of atomic scientists on their, on their website. Nicholas, thanks so much. I hope to talk to you again. Thanks so much. You got it. Nicholas Wade, uh, 1-866-408-7669. Back in a moment. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, welcome back, everybody. Just to wrap up this hour, I just got to tell you, uh, one of our sponsors happens to be a personal friend of mine, Arthur Lee with LifeVac. So if you don't know what it is, it, you know, so many kids die from choking. He came up with a device that you just put over uh, a child's mouth or a senior's mouth or anyone choking. When the Heimlich doesn't work, which is often, it goes over, you place, you push, and you pull, and it works almost every time. To me, you need it, especially if you have little kids. You need it in your house. Like you need a fire extinguisher. You hope to never use it, but you have to have it. And for the first time, I just saw a surveillance video of a child being saved. The mom was pounding the back. The other kid grabbed the light back, comes in the room. They place it over the child. I'm going to try. I'm going to see if I get permission to post this on my social media. And I'm telling you right now, if you give this as a gift in a baby shower or anything like that, you know, what do you get somebody that really has enough to third kid? What are you going to say? Well, you get them a life back. No one will say, what's this? I, I don't want it. Nobody. So whether it's a senior that's having trouble swallowing or a senior that might be living, a, uh, you know, you might be uh, living with you and you want to be able to help. You're not a doctor. If you get this, just go to um, if you go to lifevac.com 
and you put in WABC, they'll give a discount because that's one of our locally affiliates. But more importantly, I just think if you get it, you never regret it. If you're in the firehouse or you're in a, you're in a school or you have a daycare or you want to give something to a daycare because so you're dropping your kid off, whether it's just a home, you got to get this. It's live VAC, and you'll see the videos and see the testimonial. They've saved hundreds of kids around, around the world. So uh, I just wanted to say that, and that is unsolicited. I'm just listening, looking to all these testimonials, and after seeing that video, I just wanted to share with you. I'm going to have Arthur Lee, the inventor, on uh, next week. Uh, meanwhile, um, the other thing I want to get over that we have not discussed yet, and which really hits home, is curriculum. As you, uh, the curriculum in our schools. It seems like uh, every time I write a history book, I always worry, well, I wonder if people are going to care being that's not in the news. And when I did Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, Al-Qaeda, ISIS emerged very much in the news. Same thing. Terrorists attack us, but it was in the 1790s, 1810s as opposed to now. And then George Washington's Secret Six, we were talking about CIA and surveillance. They were talking about spies in that. Andrew Jackson, the miracle of New Orleans, we're talking about great battles won by great Americans. Everyday Americans, this major general ends up being a two-term president, but first won this dramatic battle. Sam Houston comes out of nowhere, an underachiever, ends up being an overachiever, and leaves Texas to freedom. Uh, a guy that could have been president, but man, did he accomplish a lot. And Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, what happened after the Alamo? This next book that I'm doing, The President and the Freedom Fighter, Race, I know, will always be an issue in America. Never did I think it would be like this. But how Frederick Douglass escaped after seven years uh, uh, a slave. He escapes seven years later, writes a best-selling book about his life, his life in slavery, what he did to escape, becomes an international star, and ends up combining with this other dirt-poor individual, this gangly-looking guy that had the strength of ten men uh, and the thirst for, uh, for knowledge like we've never seen before. Even though he had one year of formal schooling, they came out of nowhere to lead our nation through the toughest times, and that is uh, through civil war. The president of the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Frederick Douglass, uh, their wartime friendship that saved America's soul. Never did I think we'd be talking about race, black and white. But listen to Mayor Lori Lightfoot. What a throwback to a time I don't want to go back to. But instead of talking about whites and blacks and Jim Crow, she's saying, I am not going to do interviews with white people. Cut 23. The City Hall Press Corps needs to reflect the diversity of our city. It's way past time for the City Hall Press Corps and the people that do the hiring and make the decisions to get the memo. We are in a time where we're having a powerful and important conversation around systemic racism in every institution. And the press and the media can't be exempt from that conversation. So she's not going to do it. And people support her. This is a woman. She's got 50 people dying a day or being shot a day in her inner city of Chicago. She can't get her teachers to go to school and serve the most needy and get students back in the classroom. And she thinks her biggest problem is white reporters covering her in a very Democratic city. Democrats own the papers and the news outlets for the most part. And that's her number one thing. To further divide America rather than help save America. The exact opposite reason to get into this business. So in between the 1619 Project and attitudes like that in high offices, I thought it would be great to hear Glenn Lowry push back. An African-American came from nowhere to now being an elite professor at Brown University. Cut 28. Tenure is right at the heart of the university. Where is the big book? Uh, where's the sustained body of work? Where, where's the PhD? She's got a master's degree. God love her. There's nothing wrong with not having a PhD, but you think making someone a permanent member of the faculty of a serious university, you might want to see a little bit more depth. So I'm not at all surprised that trustees might have balked. Putting the political 
issues to the side at having that be a tenured appointment from the start. My understanding is their position is, let's see, got five years, it's a renewable appointment. Let's see how you do and what you produce, and, and we'll see. You see a s- series in the New York Times called The 16 Mind Gene Project, how our country really started in 1619 and fought the revolution in 1776 to keep slavery. Totally wrong. And you wonder who did it. And then you say, okay, look at her background. It's got some problems. Look at her facts. Got some problems. Where's her book? Where's her curriculum? Got some problems. And so is Joe Biden liking this, that he wants to incentivize states to put it in their curriculum. Unacceptable. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.